One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. So happy to have you guys along with me today. Uh, and it's going to be just me today. We're gonna, we've are gonna we got a great show uh, planned for you as I titled it, The Real Work-Life Balance. Uh, and so we're going to get into what do I mean by that uh, and, and what are some of the latest things uh, that we're coming up with uh, as it resolves and goes around work-life balance. It's been busy speaking of work-life balance. Uh, I really haven't been living my own uh, as I should be. I think this is my, my second day in my own office in the last two or three weeks. We were in New York City uh, meeting with some executives there. Uh, I got an awesome opportunity to work with the Jacksonville chapter of PMI. Uh, last Friday, and we did a new uh, seminar uh, style for them that we're going to be bringing um, quite quite a bit all around the country. I know that uh, we're booked in Richmond, Virginia. We're booked in El Paso, Texas. Um, we've got something coming up at the Delaware Valley chapter of PMI. So we got a lot of stuff that's happening. Um, and also just upcoming, uh, I'm going to be in Orlando the 3rd through the 9th uh, attending the Maxwell uh, Certification Conference, the IMC. So for all of our new members of the John Maxwell team, we will be there to serve you and help you along. Uh, so we're super excited and I need it. And it, whenever I go to an IMC, I get supercharged, recharged, uh, and really kind of fill up my energy level. So I can tell right now today uh, that my energy level is really kind of at an all-time low. So the IMC couldn't be getting here uh, soon enough for us. A little bit later in August on the 21st, we're going to be in Denver, Colorado, the 25th. We're sponsoring what is called the Fairy Tale Ball, uh, which is part of the um, nonprofit that I'm on the board for here in Birmingham. Uh, so we'll be there the 25th. And then the 30th uh, through the 2nd, we're participating at Dragon Con this year uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. I think it's our third year now participating in that. So super excited uh, for that to come up. That's a super fun conference. Takes up five of the major hotels in downtown uh, Atlanta. It's over Labor Day weekend. Um, and it's just a, a lot of fun. We actually extended that trip uh, this time just so that we could experience more of it. And then, of course, September 12th, I'll be hosting the PMI Expo, uh, which is going to be a virtual conference. About 25, 30,000 people join this conference. And I'll be the host that's um, interviewing all of our panelists and keeping the day moving, uh, followed by September 13th and 14th, again, Richmond, Virginia. So got a lot of stuff coming up. Super excited to uh, be a part of it. Uh, and look forward to meeting all the listeners uh, when you guys uh, come out. So let's get into today's show, um, which I titled, again, The Real uh, Work-Life Balance. And, and so what I want to do is, again, start by the definition of that term to me. Um, and, and it's interesting because uh, I did a seminar not too long ago here at the Birmingham chapter of PMI, and uh, we allowed some, some of the newer people coming up to, to do a lot of the different uh, speeches. And somebody got on, on stage right in front of me calling it the work-life fallacy, that he hates the term work-life balance um, and, and doesn't even want to use it. Um, and so that kind of forced me in, in my speech to define what I mean by work-life balance. So first, it's, it, it's interesting as you work with John Maxwell team and a lot of the other people that I work with, um, is to identify what we really call work. So if you have somehow matched your passion to your purpose and are able to pursue that, then when you are doing what you're passionate about and it is in your purpose, then it doesn't feel like work. So that's kind of like the first definition when we start talking about that. When I think of work-life balance, though, I, I want to give you my take on that. And, and this is where um, we've really built our entire career and consulting company around protecting our resources at all costs, protecting the people that work for us at all costs. And I've done several shows about that, and I don't want to get into that as much, but that's really where I'm coming from when I start talking about the work-life balance. I mean, first, we've got to define what it means to me um, so that you can you know, match that to what your definition is. I don't think there's ever a point, unless you win the lottery or whatever, that you don't have to work. So the question then becomes, how do you enjoy your work and how much are you putting into your work? And then your life side, it has a tendency to, to bleed over, right? So, uh, 
you know, some of the things that frustrate me more than anything, again, getting into my definition of work-life balance, is when, you know, I'll watch a, a, a company mandate that their people work nights and weekends to hit something that maybe isn't hittable, right? So, we've got a project, we're accelerating it, there's no real need to accelerate it. Um, other than somebody just wants it done by a certain date, but it's not a first-to-market strategy, it's not regulatory, it's you know none of those things, yet we're driving the, the people who are working on the project. And, and whenever I'm meeting with my sponsors that, that are asking for things like that, I love to push and, and ask, you know, so if they need to decide whether or not to come into work or go to their son and daughter's, you know, soccer match or baseball game, football game, whatever – um, and again, it doesn't even have to be, you know, kids. They, they've got something that is important to their lives externally, and you make them sacrifice that for no real gain. That's when we're really impeding into the work-life balance. Those are the things that I feel like I'm a warrior for uh, in protecting our resources. Do we really need to be working the nights and weekends to make this thing happen um, when there's really not going to be any kind of financial gain or benefit to the organization? And so that's really what happens, right? So the the other side of work-life balance for me in that definition is is for many organizations, their culture is not aligned with their vision. And so therefore, that creates a staff that can feel frustrated or mistreated or unwanted. And so really, you know, what we want to do is be able to start to explore that and understand, you know, what are the leading causes of turnover in an organization? Um, what questions should the organization be asking when they're trying to grow um, and really understand some organizational stories for context uh, so that we can examine some of those leading factors for why employees leave. So I'll give you a perfect example. You know, when I first really started to investigate this, as a project manager, I watch people inflate dates all the time. They, they put in a date, they say it's mandated, and we'll talk about mandated dates in a little bit later uh, on this show. But um, I can remember there was a project where I was assigned, um, and as we planned everything out, the go live was hitting right at my vacation. And so, you know, I came home, talked to my wife, um, and so I went to the company, and I was like, well, the go live is planned for my vacation. They go, oh, you, you, you got to move it. You know, you can't, oh, we, we have to have you. We can't have go live if you're not here. And so we looked at all the factors, my wife and I made some decisions, and we moved the date. Well, lo and behold, go live comes, and nobody's ready. The system's not done, a lot of stuff. So they renegotiate a new go live date, and it lands exactly on the dates that I had for my vacation. So now we're in it again. And so now I go to the company, I'm like, look, you know, there's a potential that we missed that go live. I've already moved the vacation once. I'm just, I'm going to go on vacation with my wife. Oh, no, you got to move it. Oh, you got it. You have to move it because, you know, we need you here. It's go live. So I move it a third time, and I swear <laughs> they move the project date back right smack dab into the third move, which means had I stayed true to life and just kept my original vacation, there would have been no impact to the project. I would have been able to take vacation, come back refreshed, and really maybe even have new eyes on the project. But instead, we keep pushing off my personal time, my lifetime, in order to handle this work project. And when we get to the third vacation point, they end up killing the project. And so now there's legal stuff and all this other thing, which means I can't go on vacation. So my wife and I just kind of got frustrated and we canceled the whole trip. And so that's a perfect example as to why now as a consultant or even as a business owner, when I set a vacation, I set a vacation. I don't care what dates the, the company is, is asking me for. I just tell them, look, I am out this date to this date. You know, if, if you're planning to go live for that time, I won't be here. If you want to push it up or push it back, that's fine. But these dates are solid. And whenever anybody really pushes me on it, I tell the story I just told you. And just say, look, I, projects miss their dates all the time. They, they, they slide, we grow, their scope change, all these other things. And if I'm truly going to protect my own work-life balance, then what I need to do is make those life plan dates the priority. Simple as that. So that's kind of where I come from in the work-life balance. And, and so 
that leads me then to questions that I like to ask organizations. And again, it always comes back to that same thing that I believe that the, the replay last week had me uh, riffing on this topic as well. Um, but to understand the work-life balance, you have to understand the value of people in an organization. And that can then be traced back directly to how the portfolio of projects is managed. And so, again, if you want to be under, you know, the, the old quote, if, if you want to understand first seek to be understood, well, if we don't know where our resources are or don't have a way to understand that, then how are we picking the projects that we're going to undertake as a company? And so my, my question normally is phrased is, are you picking projects based on what you can spend, right? Based on what you have budget for, or are you picking projects based on what the re- resources or the people can reasonably accomplish? Do, do, do you know that they have time? So for instance, um, you know, sure you have some people that are pro- you know, project-based, that kind of stuff, but let's say, you know, we've got a finance team. Their job is to, you know, be paying the bills, do accounts payable, accounts receivable, all those things. Well, we, we're not gonna schedule nine projects for them throughout the year or, you know, people don't get paid. But do you know that you're doing that? Do you know that you're picking all these projects that are based on this, right? I mean, I'm in a project now where we're relying on another system to be done. That system continues to slide, can't give us data, yet they still want to hold us to our dates. You know, things like that, um, you know, are are exactly kind of what leads to this whole conundrum of work-life balance. They didn't understand that this project would impact this project when, when they selected it, when they did select it. Now, there's pressure and hours that, that are basically funneling onto a team. That team's got to figure out how to get it done or they're letting two projects down. Um, and that's just unfair. It's unfair to the people. And again, the people who decide to leave are the ones you really wanted to keep. These are the ones that, that have the true heart. They're the ones that really want to do stuff. They're the, the first ones that executives think of when they, they select the project, yet those are the people that are going to leave. Um, and so I think it's really, really important for organizations to make sure that they understand what their resource capacity is um, and, you know, understand portfolio management all the way to the point of how are we selecting our projects, why are we selecting our projects, and what are the true constraints for doing so. So around this, this is where I, I've seen Agile really come in and be really good. Um, I, I'm not going to make this a, an Agile versus project management discussion today, but the one thing I want to say is um, that when we talk about Agile, um, it's really switching the conversation to be value-based. So when we switch the conversation to be value-based, then it changes the context in which we're making the decision. And I'm going to take a break right here, and we're going to talk about that when we get back. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management. From CA. 
Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on another Friday. Uh, One of the announcements I left off uh, in the opening segment is we had a meeting today uh, where I am the project manager for the official Mickey Mouse Club uh, 30-year reunion. So that's going to be happening in May in Orlando. For those of you that uh, grew up with the show, watched the show, of course, that you know launched the careers of Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, all of them. Um, but there's a lot of phenomenal, talented people that were a part of that show. And so we're going to get cast and crew together. Um, I got to intern on that show when, when uh, it was being taped there in Orlando and uh, have been friends with a lot of the people ever since. Uh, as you know, the lead-in music for, for this show comes from The Party, which was an unreleased album by a group that was with the Mickey Mouse Club. So super excited about that. Um, that's going to be coming up, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to have several of the guests uh, on the show that are going to be participating in that as well. So coming back to the work-life balance, I just teased into this segment talking about agile and, and switching to value. And again, I don't want to make this an agile and PM discussion. We've done that a few times on the show. But the one thing I enjoy about really understanding agile is it makes things more value-based decisions. So If you look at traditional project management, portfolio management, what happens is you select a list of projects based on what you can spend. We hope that we're going to get ROI on those, and then we go to work. What this does is basically switch that variable so we don't have five projects and pending onto one team. We kind of say one team has X amount of capacity. What's the most valuable thing that they can work on for the organization? And it, it switches that, that paradigm a little bit so that we're not just picking everything um, and hoping we can get it done. We know what we can accomplish and we're picking the most valuable thing. And so when we get into project selection um, and based on you know what we can spend versus what we can achieve, um, that's where portfolio planning really comes into play. And it's interesting because I'll work with organizations all the time and they'll say, you know, we want to be able to do this resource management, but we don't want our resource managers to have to log anything in a system. And it, it, it's, you know, when I heard that the first time, uh, the analogy I came up with saying, you know, you don't have time to do resource management. It's like saying that you're too fat to diet. So it, it just doesn't make sense. You have to do one to get the other. What, what the biggest shift is in, in work-life balance and what I'm seeing right now in organizations, though, is the importance of time tracking. So years ago, I would have told you that unless you were going to do serious time tracking, then you're never really going to get to the answer. Um, and, and so it's interesting because, you know, of course, when you try to roll out time tracking to an organization, you hear, you know, things like, you know, where do I track my time when I'm tracking my time? Where do I track my time when I go to the bathroom? You know, dumb stuff like that, uh, which are common objections uh, to, to, to tracking time. But the objective of time tracking is to understand where our resources are working. Are they working on the most valuable thing and how much, you know, can, can we truly accomplish? Um, so we can guess or do that by formulas or we can use time tracking. Um, with the advent of Agile though, I've seen ways to now do and get this information without tracking time. So you have another measurement, meaning story points involved, 
Um, and as long as the team comes together and is consistent about how they're doing story points, then you can project cost and hours based on accomplishment of story points completed, which means you can lead to um, doing CapEx, a capital and expense reporting, R&D time credits, all these other things in an agile methodology, which removes the overhead of time tracking. But it's still, we have to have the data one way or the other in order for us to understand how to achieve that real work-life balance. If, if we don't know that you're already, um, you know, really uh, overloaded, then we'll just keep adding work. A great example of that is, is when I um, talk and, and train uh, about some of my project management experiences in the past, but, you know, your boss just keeps throwing tasks on top of you. The expectation is that at some point you've got to come back to your boss and say, you've asked me to do these 22 things. I can get these seven done today. Which seven do you want me to do? And a lot of people don't know that that's something you ought to do as a resource is just to be able to push back. That's how people know. Because if you just keep saying yes and accepting work, it'll just keep coming. Regardless if you're getting it done or not, the expectation is set there. So you've got to learn how to be able to push back in certain areas. But again, if we have some sort of tracking, uh, some sort of software, that gives you kind of the promise of to what I call the yellow brick road, right? The yellow brick road is is truly understanding where our resources are so that we can make great decisions about which projects we can pick and which projects we can't. Unfortunately, because we talk about resource management and time, then that becomes the lion tigers and, and bears oh my speech of we can't do that, that's too much overhead for our people, so on and so forth. But I, I think in order to break through that, what we have to have the ability to do is understand uh, the, the radio station I think that everybody listens to, which is what's in it for me, right? W-I-I-F-M. And so countless books, discussions can be found on the importance of, you know, change management, rolling out time tracking, portfolio management. Um, you know, traditional project management has, has many stories of failure, being date-driven, um, yet projects continue to make the same mistakes over and over, and that's because there is that lack of visibility to drive proper accountability. So what we want to do in the WIIFM discussion is start talking about each role and what benefits them based on what is occurring um, in terms of you know needing time tracking, needing this information, right? So executives, again, can make key decisions. But like resource managers, um, I think that they would fight for that information. I think that you would want that because the, the common objection of a resource manager is my team's too busy. And that comes back to, you know, busy doing what? Busy, you know, and you're like, you know, stuff, stuff for your project, stuff for your thing. We're really busy. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, prove it. And so when you have this data that can start talking towards, you know, work-life balance, then you can prove the need that either your team's busy, so what work are we not going to do, or do we need to hire so that we can complete all the objectives, uh, objectives in front of us. But, I, you know, the, the one that amazes me the most, especially when we roll out these types of things, is team members. So you always get the team member that says, you know, oh, this is just another way of big brother, so on and so forth. And, and the funniest thing, and, and I say this in most organizations that I work with, is those are never my exemplary employees. My exemplary employees are like, oh, I got a time track, okay. Right, because they, they really are busy, they really are doing the work, they have no problem telling you what it is that they accomplished today for the good of the organization. It's the people that are like, well, it's big brother, you're gonna use it against us. And I was like, do you have? It's almost like you're the guilty party now in a, in a police interrogation, right? We weren't even looking at you until you said that, right? It, it becomes one of these things that, you know, if you're, if you're complaining about Big Brother, if you're worried about that somebody's going to be looking over your shoulder, maybe there's a reason that that is, is worrying you. Maybe we should dig in and find out why you would be worried about something like that. And so... For all of this to, to wrap up, I know I seem to be a little all over the place today, but this is a big topic to me, is first, you've got to regulate how we pick projects. Two, you've got to be able to prove that we have the resources or don't have the resources to accomplish a project. And third, we need to prove that we're doing what we say that we're going to do. And, and all of that 
is wrapped up around accountability. I think there's just different reasons by different roles in which why we would want this accountability. Um, I remember when, when, you know, I was a traveling consultant for a very large organization, everything was based on billables. Well, you know, I'm billing 65 to 80 hours a week and they love it. I don't, right? I'm sitting there going, where's my work-life balance? What's happening? And they're like, oh, you're so productive. You're so, yeah, but it's got to stop at some point. It's got to end at some point or you're absolutely going to burn me out, uh, which is essentially what happened. So we're going to continue down this, this line. Um, I want to start talking about um, how methodologies play into this. Um, so we've talked about, you know, how do we select projects? What's in it for each one of the roles? Now I want to start getting into methodology management side um, and understand how these different methodologies and how these different decisions really impact uh, resources downstream. So we'll discover that right after this break. We'll be right back on the Work-Life Balance. You're listening to Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. Comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the work life balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back on this Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're talking about the real Work-Life Balance, talking about some of the theories uh, around resource management, uh, around time tracking, and around selecting of projects, how that impacts our organization. So, Speaking of that, um, one of the biggest things that I think that, you know, work-life balance, understanding our resources, understanding what they're doing uh, really affects is what we call, you know, project churn. Um, and so project churn is the, what, what I use to describe the, the variables to consider in the cost of a turnover to a project, right? So when you're turning over resources or you're stopping and starting projects, what does that do to the organization? And there's a lot of studies that are starting to come out around this. You know, obviously, 
you know, there's disruption to the team, there's learning curves, um, the actual cost of salaries uh, can be some of those considerations. You know, while the true cost can be difficult to quantify industry to industry, um, they're also based on the complexity of the project schedule and, and how well we need to, to manage that. Um, but the cost also can be based on how interchangeable the, the resources themselves can be. And the theory of interchangeability is, is, is largely argued as regardless of technical skill, there's still ramp up time or a ramp up period for a resource to understand the project and the task that he or she must perform. So there was an article that was published in the ATA Chronicle. Uh, uh, Kenneth uh, McKethan stated he had an article um, that was controlling project churn, a case for reality-based project management. And, and what he had said in the article is that an average project that a, a team that he was managing uh, went through seven resource changes per project on average. Um, and so the average time that it would take a project manager to balance the schedule from a resource change and the cumulative impact was roughly about 1.62 days. Um, and so if you think there's three projects, the extrapolation of that data resulted in about 34 project management days worth of effort just to handle the impact uh, of resource change just on the project management team. You know, forget about the rest of the stuff. That was just pure on the project management team. I found that fascinating. Other factors um, in the cost has to do with the type of turnover, right? So if it's due to employees leaving, uh, depending on the job title, Glassdoor is showing that the highest employee turnover occurs in engineering. In, in software engineering, which is where I spend a lot of my time, those roles have a 52% higher than average time to fill uh, at an average of 35 days. So it takes 35 days to find a really good resource to come in and do software engineering. But that it, it doesn't stop once they're hired because once hired, new employees take an average of 8 to 12 months to be as proficient as the tenured employee who knows the operating systems and standard practices within the company. So I, I bring this up because I talk to executives all the time. They're like, well, if they're not going to do it or if they don't want to be in it. Just let them go. But we've got to protect our people because it's not as easy as just let them go and you know, the old, the old joke, I'll get somebody else looks just like them to do it. But I mean, come on, if, if it's a 52% average higher in this industry to find, you know, it's up to 35 days, but then it's still going to be a full year before that person is as proficient as the one going, then why can't we slide this project a month because we're burning out this team member? And see, while new employees are in training to learn the new procedures, productivity on the team itself will drop and work will pile up on those people. So projects are either put on hold or the team must pick up work of the employee who left in addition to their own work. And, and while the engineers on the team may be familiar with the former employee's project, it takes time for them to get up to speed. I mean, team members will work harder for longer hours to pick up the slack, but then that itself creates frustrations among the team and can lead to additional turnover. So you, you get into this vicious cycle of people turning over on the projects. And so while it's hard to quantify that to say a dollar amount, um, unless doing some sort of directed study, um, I think the items that you would look at when you're trying to determine how important is that person to me uh, is, you know, what's the time for their existing employees to cover the work in the interim? Uh, what would be the time to find a replacement? What's the money to find a replacement and the money to train the replacement? Um, there's the loss of knowledge, again, stress and strain on the existing team, uh, time for the new member, uh, team member to learn the task and project, and money for the new team member to gain momentum or, or back up to speed. So depending on the articles that you read, you know, many articles suggest that up to 50% of productivity of the person is lost when pulling them from one project to another. And this figure can range from 35 to 75%. Uh, depending on the tenure of the individual, their skill set, familiarity with the project and team, variety of other factors. So what is of interest, though, is the main reason for adding team members um, often is a counterintuitive theory. So many team members can be pulled from projects and added to other projects uh, to either save the project or maybe accelerate to this finish date. Um, but that's been largely argued against. Uh, even popularized by Fred Brooks in the book, The Mythical Man Month. 
Um, so according to him, right, according to Fred Brooks, there's an incremental person who, when added to the project, makes it take more, not less time, right? Again, this is due to the ramp up of the resource, communication overhead, limited divisibility of the tasks. Uh, and this generally applies to projects that are already late or nearing the point of no return. Now, several other authors, right, you can look at Carl Weigers, you could look at Eric Raymond, um, they use, you know, they were original signees and, and used the Agile Manifesto to expand on the theory um, that is, is setting up a lot of the methodologies that, that we're following today. But the point is, is if we're burning out our best employees and we're, we're not functioning in a place that we know what they're doing, um, know what percentage of their time is, and continue to, to lump projects on, the detriment to the organization of that, again, it's not just about sliding a project a month. It's looking at all of the downstream impacts that is potential um, for, you know, having the cost of a methodology churn or cost of an employee churn or cost of a project churn. I mean, these methodologies roadmaps are vital to ensure staff in an organization have equal understanding and objectives. But when you start to switch methodologies, that can be just as detrimental as beneficial, right? So you have to understand, you know, and, and I say this because I hear often, oh, we'll just go agile. Well, do you know what that means? Do you know what the impact to the organization is going to be um, in switching methodologies? What the, the spin-up is going to be? What the um, waste is going to be? And, of course, all of that and everything we've, got to, we've talked about still comes back to culture and vision of an organization. Um, you know, personal story for me, there was one organization here in town that I fought for years to be a part of. And the reason being is because they really touted their culture of work-life balance. They were a very family-based organization. They had tons of family things that, that occurred within the organization. If you got your work done, you could take off like at three o'clock on a Friday to, to go be with your family. Um, and I loved the organization because they really understood if we make our employees happy, then they'll be more productive. If they're more productive, we'll get more work done, right? It's, it's a domino effect in both directions. The other side is I don't trust my resources. I'm going to pound on them all the time. They're going to leave and then we'll just replace them. So your, your culture is, is dictating a, a lot of this stuff. And so I chased this organization, wanted to be a part of it. And by the time I actually got there, they had new executives that were changing the culture. And it was coming back to this driven. I remember just sitting there going, this isn't the company I signed up to work for. And I think I, I stayed four months before I left, um, which was interesting, right? Because, again, that was four months. Not only did I lose, but think about it from the organizational terms. They spent the money to hire. They, you know, invested four months in, in getting me up to speed. And because their culture wasn't aligned to their vision and the culture the company was changing, um, based on what we knew it was going to be, they're starting over again. So they have to go find another person, start to ramp them up, get them up to speed. Um, and the cost of that can be tremendous when you start to really look at that. Um, one of the things that we do from a study perspective when we're working with organizations is to look at the churn of the, uh, of the departments. Because really that's the understanding of the culture of the management of the group based on how many in certain areas are turning over. Um, and so that to me, again, is all driving to what we call the real work-life balance. We have to make sure that, that we have a culture that's supporting the growth of our team, a culture that is understanding that, you know, work takes a natural time frame to a lot that you can't just, you know, make everything an emergency and all of a sudden we're going to be more productive. Um, you know, case in point to that as well is I believe it was Kona Longboards um, who they were running out of money and they were losing productivity. Uh, and so they went to a, a different work week, essentially, where you could kind of come in when you wanted, leave when you wanted, as long as you got X amount of stuff done. Um, and so their people all of a sudden had this new work-life balance where, you know, they could go, you know, the surfers could go surfing in the morning, come back out you know, work all day and then go back and hit the waves again. Uh, but they weren't regulated by nine to five or eight to five or whatever it is, um, you know, that, that people are used to. 
And the productivity versus cost went up at the organization, which was incredible, right? So when they became a little bit more lax and let their people kind of breathe, they got more done. But if you're driving them and pushing them and yelling at them and and showing them all the numbers and how horrible things are, you'll see productivity actually go down. That's exactly what we're talking about when we start talking about the true work-life balance. And all of that, I, I think, can be broken down to this statement. One of the things that I look at when we're talking work-life balance is the language that we use, the connotation of the language that we use when we're talking about our work, right? And so, for instance, do you have to go to a meeting or do you have the opportunity to attend a meeting? And how we use phrasing and connotation can have a tremendous impact on how we view work, right? So, if we align our culture and vision of our life and it's important to achieving the balance, then you're seeing work as the opportunity to fulfill your life's passion, right? And so, that's, <coughs> excuse me, the nutshell of what we're driving to here is understanding that we have the opportunity to work, the opportunity to do a job, the opportunity to pursue a life's passion. So, if you find yourself sitting there saying, you know, I have to do this or I have to do that, then you're pulling yourself directly out of what we're trying to achieve in a work-life balance. So, hopefully that helps. We're going to uh, take our final break right here. We'll be right back with the final segment of the Work-Life Balance. You're listening to Rick Morris. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies, a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality, so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CA PPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, Helpers are elevated and customers are engaged, all while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA project and portfolio management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And thank you again for turning, tuning in to the Work-Life Balance uh, again, we're currently being downloaded in 92 countries, which is exciting because I'd love to come and visit each one of them uh, that we're getting downloaded in. 
but it's it's been exciting and um, you know getting a chance to voice some of these opinions and, and, and lay them down for, for people to hear but also to record um, is is an exciting aspect of what we do uh, because quite frankly I mean I, I had five different meetings this week in, in you know three states with very large organizations having the very same discussion that we're having today, which is what is a work-life balance? How do we track to it? How do we become better? So I, I love that organizations are reaching out to do that. And so you can always reach out to us as well at rmores at rsquareconsulting.com. You can find us at rsquareconsulting.com. And then also for project managers, if you hit rickamorris.com, there's a ton of training and, and things based on these methodologies. Uh, and really, you know, quite frankly, a lot of the seminars that I do is based on some of the material that we've got recorded there for you to check out. One of the biggest things that we started doing uh, was what we call the project management mastermind. And so if you know the mastermind technique, um, which was, you know, largely popular popularized by the book Think and Grow Rich, um, this is getting a group of like-minded project managers together to discuss some of the, the serious issues that are going on in their organizations. And we offer assistance to each other through this group um, to help solve some of the biggest project management problems that they're facing. So it's an exciting group to be a part of. You can join that as well, and you can find all the details there on the Project Management Mastermind uh, tab uh, on rickamorris.com. So as we wrap up this discussion about the real work-life balance, Again, we, we want to come back to, I think, the core thing that, that it's all about. And at the end of the day, you know, I'd, st- I'd started this whole talk with my definition of the work-life balance, which is truly understanding and fighting for your resources to protect your team at all costs. Well, that means then the core of my belief in work-life balance is that people are the most valuable asset to any organization. I think it's people, then process, then technology every time. And so valuing people, understanding people, and making sure that we're igniting the passion of our team for a common purpose, which is work, um, is, is the most paramount reason. Um, and, and also, quite frankly, why, you know, a few years ago, I decided to join the John Maxwell team and become an executive director there um, because I've, there's no better organization to teach you not only the importance, but how to value people and how to truly live um, your life for other people. Um, and, and when you do that, that's when work-life balance really starts to take account. Um, I, can, I can just trace my own personal story, but you know, early in my career, it was all about building my name and building my understanding, building my you know, methodologies, all that stuff. But it was all about me, and there was no fulfillment. The moment that I started really investing in other people, believing in other people, valuing other people, is when I really started to understand um, what this work-life balance thing means. Um, It's why I do this radio show is to try to impact as many people as possible to understand that, that people in your organization is the greatest asset that organization will ever have. And if you have the right people at the right time, um, which I've seen happen time and time again. I've watched companies grow from nothing to dominate an industry. And during that period of growth, you had, you know, 10 to 15 people really believed in each other, really valued each other, really built upon each other's ideas. That's when you really can see an organization grow. Um, and, and that's when it's fun to go to work. Because again, there's a purpose, there's a passion, there's what it is that you're trying to, to get done. So if you're interested in that as well, if you're interested in the John Maxwell team, you can certainly reach out to me. Um, and, and really, I'm not a recruiter. I just love to explain what the organization is um, and what we do with this organization. And again, I'm so fired up. Uh, in fact, I'll be doing the radio show live um, from that conference next week uh, as I, I get into the conference on Friday. And so we're going to try to find some, some of our team members and get some surprise guests onto the show. Um, but we'll all be together in Orlando next week. There'll probably be about 2,500 people participating in this conference, which is sole purpose is how do we value and enable people? So I can't wait for that. Super excited to be a part of that next week. Um, and hopefully if, if you are part of the John Maxwell team and we've not met yet, please find me 
in Orlando. You'll you'll know where I am as as I've got my posts that I've got to work, um, and I'll be easy to find. I promise you that. Um, so with that, again, next week we're going to be doing the show live uh, from uh, the the John Maxwell team uh, event in Orlando. Uh, the week after that. Um, we're going to have a, a special show that uh, I like to do coming out of the Maxwell event, just talking about what I learned, what's changed. That kind of, It's kind of a detox out of that event, um, but I'm super fired up when, when, when that show occurs. Um, and then we're going to have Mike Ganino on the show on the 17th, and so he's going to have uh, some exciting things to share with us as well. So we've got some really good things lined up for the, the next few weeks. Um, the show after that, the 24th, though, I can't wait to have uh, this lady on, uh, Marisa Nelson. Uh, Marissa Nelson. Marissa is a good friend of mine um, who is absolutely killing it in the financial planning world. And so she's going to get on and share some of her techniques um, and some of what her work-life balance is as she drives through that industry. And she is an absolute uh, force to be reckoned with, a powerhouse, and a lot of fun. Uh, to be around. So I look forward to that show on the 24th. Until then, you can always hit me up on Twitter at Rick A. Morris. Find me on Facebook. I'm Rick A. Morris. It's Rick at RickAMorris.com or rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. And as always, thank you so much for being a part of the Work-Life Balance this week. We will be back next Friday live from Orlando, Florida. uh, And we hope to have everybody tune in then. Until then, manage your own work-life balance. Find that passion. Make sure that you really are valuing people and everything in this world will open up to you when, when you achieve that. I promise you that. So we'll talk again next Friday. You've been listening to the Work-Life Balance. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.